In a split second, I was transformed. And if anyone had seen me on that day, June 13th, 2017, there was no way you would have recognized me. Before I tell you what had happened to me on that day, let me first explain this kind of transformation that I encountered. It's a transformation that was first described by the great Greek philosopher Aristotle. In one of his writings, he described what he called cathartic crying. He described it as a process where one's personality was transformed into new insights because of the depth of his crying, a deep form of crying. This is the deepest kind of crying known to man. I'm talking about nose running, tears flowing, hair ripping, clothes tearing, heart wrenching, saliva drooling, nearly choking kind of crying. That was the way I cried on that day. And I got transformed. I literally couldn't breathe. I was a mess. And it all happened after I heard three words from my sister who was on the other end of the phone. And she said to me, Bro. And here comes the three words. We lost him. We lost dad. There were so many reasons why the death of my dad at the time really broke me, which I'll get into later on in today's episode. But earlier in that day, June 13th, 2017, I had gotten on a FaceTime call with my brother just to see my dad. He was in the hospital at the time. He was recovering from a brain surgery. And when I looked at him, he had an oxygen mask on him. I really wished he wasn't going to suffer. And I said a little prayer after the call, like, God, please, I don't want dad to suffer. You know, if it's his time, just welcome him home. And you would think that for me to have said that kind of prayer in the morning, that if they told me a few hours later that he had actually passed, I wouldn't feel it because I had been prepared for it. But friends, nothing prepares us for grief. Hello, beautiful people. Thanks for tuning in to Real Fitness, where I talk about rest, exercise, authentic food, love, and everything in between to help you live your life 10 over 10. Today's episode, When Grief Grips, will come to you in three segments. One, going through grief. I'll talk about the different stages of grief and how we go through them. This will help you understand your grieving process and also understand how other people grieve. And the second segment is going to be supporting others through grief. There are just some things you don't do or say when you're trying to support a friend or a loved one through grief. And there are things that you should do, things that we naturally don't think about. And supporting others through grief 
isn't something that really should scare you because for some of us, it does scare us. For me, it used to scare me. I hated going to funerals. Anyways, more on that later. And a third segment is going to be making meaning out of grief. Hmm. Can you really though? Trust me, this segment is not about minimizing what grief is. This is not about minimizing what you're going through, your pain, your demise, your torture. This really is just about literally what it says, making meaning out of grief. Can you really though? I ask again. I bet you can. Stick with me through to the end. I've got a great show planned out for you today. Great stories, stories of people you know, including mine. And I hope that at the end of the day, you'll feel better, stronger, rejuvenated, energized, and you would have something to serve as a cushion for you whenever grief grips you or someone you love. Going through grief. Okay. This is one truth that I believe many of us already know, but it's worth repeating. We all grieve differently. I like to let that sink because if we can understand that fundamental truth, it will really help us through our grieving process and also when we go through what we call collective grieving and also when you need to support other people who are going through grief. More to come on that. Second thing I'd like us to know fundamentally is that grief is usually preceded by a loss. Loss of a parent, loss of a child, a baby, loss of a pet, loss of a job, loss of a relationship. And even in the case of COVID-19, which is something that has changed our entire world, the loss of life as we knew it could also cause some people to grieve. So we all grieve for different reasons. Now, anytime going through grief is talked about, one of the things that we would hear the most is the five stages of grief. The five stages of grief is a theory that is usually attributed to Elizabeth Kubler-Ross. She said that when people grieve, they go through five stages, denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. Since Elizabeth Kubler-Ross wrote about the stages in 1969, there's been many other publications and counter theories about these five stages. Now, one thing we should know is that not everyone goes through the five stages of grief in a linear way. In other words, while some people will start off in a state of denial and then progress to anger and then bargaining, then depression and acceptance, some other people don't go through this in that very format. Some people just experience anger and then acceptance. Some go from anger to depression, back to denial and bargaining. It's never linear, you know what I mean? And that's very important to note because I remember that when my dad died, I had a friend who was trying to psychoanalyze me to figure out what stage of grief I was at and also determine what stage of grief I was going to go to next based on the five stages. For me, there was no phase of denial when my dad died. I went straight to anger. I was angry for a while and then I went to bargaining. I spent a lot of time bargaining. I skipped depression and I went straight to acceptance, anger, bargaining and acceptance. And a sixth stage, which I'll talk about during the third segment of today's episode. 
One of the things I want to do is to tell a story for each segment of today's episode. So here's a story of Robin Roberts and her battle through cancer. As you, many of you know, five years ago, I, I beat breast cancer and I've always been a fighter. And you, your, your love, your support, your prayers helped me win that fight and that's something I will never ever forget. Now sometimes treatment for cancer can lead to other serious medical issues and that's what I'm facing right now. It is something that is called MDS, myeloplastic syndrome. and if you're looking up going, well, I, I was doing the same thing. Um, it is a rare blood disorder that affects the bone marrow. And she had a loss that bore another loss, which is a breast cancer that gave rise to the MDS. And it seemed like grief for her was continuous. And I was like, I have, I have MS? No. MDS, and he spelled it out for me, myelodysplastic syndrome. It was completely foreign to me. And I did the thing that we tell people not to do. I went on the internet and I had a reaction that, um, man, I just started crying. I just, whoo. Telling my family was the hardest part especially sharing the news with my mom, who was ill. It was very difficult to call my mom. I'm the baby. I'd already put them through <clears throat> quite a bit with my breast cancer journey. Soon the reality of my diagnosis became more clear. And the computer, there was a graph. What's that up? What's that? And there was one year, two years, and a dot in the middle. And the doctor kept pointing to that dot in the middle between one year and two years. And I, and I said, what's that? And the doctor said, if you don't do anything, that is your life expectancy. And I'm like, During her MDS treatment, Robin went on to spend 30 days in a hospital going through a bone marrow transplant. And I hear that those things are very excruciating. And after that, she had to spend another 100 days in isolation. Surviving this 100 days post-transplant was very critical to her surviving at all. And why I bring up the story is because prior to this, her family has been warned to really have a big production around Thanksgiving. And the 100 days that she had to spend in isolation post-transplant was one that was going to take her through Thanksgiving, which meant that Thanksgiving for her in 2012, which is when she went through that procedure, was going to be very different. She would have memories that would be so different from what she's been used to. That again can compound the grief of losing one's health. The morning of my transplant was a blur. I don't remember. I was in another place. I was, I was just 
You have to remember, I had gone through 10 consecutive days of chemotherapy. I had nothing left. I was surrounded by Dorothy and Sally Ann and other loved ones who were there to celebrate and witness this miraculous moment. With a syringe filled with millions of Sally Ann stem cells, my transplant doctor, Dr. Sergio Giralt, gave me the gift of life. I don't hear anybody else. I don't see anybody else. I just see Dr. Giralt. And he starts inserting the syringe into a port I have in my chest. And I remember seeing tears. He has his mask on, but I remember seeing tears in Dr. Giralt's eyes. And I can see that his mouth is moving, that he's saying something. I say a small prayer, a small saying that both my wife and my mother-in-law have taught me. Let God do his work and it will work. To me, it does capture the real sense of the moment. The way this finally evolves is a whole joint of events that may be beyond our control and is in control of a power above us. And our role is to do the best we can with the instruments that we have. Today, Robin is going strong. It's June 2020. She's still reporting as a journalist. She has a master class. She's doing great. She's been able to live on a transition with her grief. She's been able to bounce back. And many times, and it seems like the crushing and the grinding of the grip of grief would just kill us. Remember stories like Robin Roberts that there is a high chance that better days are ahead of you. Supporting others through grief. The few things that we do subconsciously, which do not make us the best form of support when our friends and loved ones are grieving. Have you ever been in a situation, either as the one who's grieving or the one who's there for someone else who's grieving, where you're trying to compare or someone is trying to compare whose loss is deeper or greater? Like, could it be my loss or your loss? You know, I lost my dad and you just lost the cousin. Like, why are you crying? It's just the cousin. What about me? I lost my dad and I didn't cry for more than two days. Some people try to compare people's grief with theirs just to kind of measure or understand why they're grieving the way that they do. The honest truth is that the worst loss is your loss because it doesn't matter what the other person's loss was like, my loss is always going to feel like the worst. It doesn't matter what a relationship was like, even if it's a pet, even if it's losing my ability to be a slave queen or a slave king, my loss is the worst. Another thing that we do subconsciously is judging the way other people grieve. This always leads to deeper frustration and it happens especially in the case of collective grieving. So let's say in the situation where my dad died and I'm the first of four. And let's say one of my siblings 
experienced a lot of anger and cried a lot during the entire process of mourning and the funeral. And for me, I went through anger for just like two days and for the rest of the period I had to be strong for everyone so I wasn't showing so much emotions. Now in some cases you will have people who show a lot of emotions feel or think that others who are supposed to be grieving with them because it's a collective grief, those are the people who are not showing emotions as deep or as strong or as overt as theirs at that particular time are not grieving enough or probably didn't love enough or the loss didn't mean so much to them and then you see lots of frustration arises in families because we're all judging the way others grieve when people don't grieve like we do we think that they're not grieving enough and that is wrong it also happens with couples maybe there's a loss of a child and one person is trying to be rational or is at a different stage of grieving from the other person. We judge them and feel like they are not grieving enough. The point about this is quit judging the way others grieve. It only leads to frustration. Understand the different stages of grieving. Understand the different likelihoods, the different ways that grief is expressed. Understand where you are and know that people might be at different stages and may not experience it the way that you do experience it. And we all experience grief in different ways for different situations. So we just have to be able to excuse ourselves and excuse other people. So I'll give us a few things to do and a few things not to do when supporting others through grief and I'll share my story for this segment. So one of the things to do is to understand grief. There is no right or wrong way to grieve. And even though we talked about five stages, people do not go through the stages in a linear way. And you don't have to tell people that, hey, you are at this stage of grief. No one really wants to be psychoanalyzed when they're going through grieving so this is just for your own knowledge it's not something to start telling your friend or loved one while they're grieving and also there is no timetable for grieving some people go through these processes very quickly and some people go through them for a very long time and again like I said sometimes it's quicker depending on the nature of the loss and some other times it's a little longer so understand that there is no timetable and if you as one who's grieving feels like you're spending too much time and people might feel like you're too weak still grieving don't think that way because the honest truth it is okay it is very okay it is you and your process there is no timetable and grieving processes are unique to individuals so don't try to psychoanalyze them just be there be there for them acknowledge their situation acknowledging the situation means using the right words to describe what has happened hey i'm sorry your dad died is different from i'm sorry he kicked the bucket i'm sorry he's at a better place or i'm sorry he's no more i mean 
you're just acknowledging their situation and it goes a long way because it shows that in some way you understand what is going on at the moment so yeah acknowledge their situation and you want to offer practical assistance to them like help them go get groceries pick up the kids from school make dinner and bring dinner over assist them in doing things like laundry these are very practical things that you can do for them you know walk the dog if they have a dog offer to do those things in the case of the death or the passing of a loved one be there to drive them when they have to go to different places go to the store or go through the whole funeral arrangements you want to be there for them if you can help them sign papers think about insurance papers and insurance documents and those calls when those calls are being made it can actually keep reminding them of their loss so you want to be there or help them make the calls or be there to speak to the representative during the calls so those are little practical things that you can do for them and be there for them during these processes and not just sit there because a lot of things needs to be taken care of when people are grieving and one other thing you can do is to provide ongoing support i dare say that they almost need you more even after the funeral so make sure it's ongoing and you're not there to always remind them of their loss but it's a support and finally one of the things you should do when you support on people who are going through grief is to listen always listen take your cues from them when they don't want to talk hear and respect that when they want to talk listen when they want to walk hear and respect that and walk with them take your cues from them there are certain things you would say if you notice they don't like it listen to that body language and just refrain so for me many times i'm not going with a prepared note or stereotypical process or logic on how to help them no people are different i take my cues from the people i'm trying to support and i support them how they want to be supported not how i think or feel is the best way to support them so listen 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 with your eyes with your ears and most importantly listen with your heart now a few things not to do and these are especially in the case of the loss of a loved one don't be afraid to discuss candidly about the disease when their names are mentioned many people do not know how to talk about the diseased and sometimes you don't even have to talk or contribute but just listen don't shy away from it don't try to change the subject if the person you're trying to support wants to talk about it listen engage and when you talk and talk about it candidly it is very honorable The applause you hear in the background is not a sound effect. It's an actual one that was given 
in the United States House of Representatives floor on August of 2011 when Congresswoman Gabby Gifford returned to the House to pass a vote after she had just survived an assassination attack on her life eight months earlier. It's amazing how everything can change for any of us in an instant. You know, people don't realize that. I certainly didn't. Yes. And on that Saturday morning, you know, I got this uh, horrible phone call. Gabby's chief of staff, uh, she didn't have much other information. She just said Gabby was shot. A few minutes later, I called her back and I actually thought for a second, well, maybe I just imagined getting this phone call. I called her back and that's when she told me that Gabby had been shot in the head. And, you know, from that point on, I knew that our lives were going to be a lot different. That was the voice of her husband, NASA astronaut and Navy Captain Mark Curley, talking about that morning, January 8, 2011, when he got a call that his wife has just been shot. According to the police report, Congresswoman Gabby of the 8th District of Arizona was organizing a meeting somewhere at a Safeway parking lot in Arizona. And shortly afterwards, while the meeting was still going on, a gunman walked in their midst and pointed a gun at her head and shot her at point-blank range. How she survived is still a miracle because the shooter went on afterwards and began to spray bullets into the crowd and he killed six other people, including a chief judge and a nine-year-old girl. It was very devastating. Now imagine if you were Mark Kelly, her husband, what would have been going on in your mind knowing that many other people had died and these gunshots went through her head at point-blank range. Gabby, what's been the toughest challenge for you during this recovery? Um, talking really hard, really. Yeah, with, with aphasia, Gabby knows what she wants to say, just can't get it, get it out. Yes. Understands everything, but the communication is just very difficult because, you know, when you look at the, the picture, the, the part of your brain uh, where those communication centers are, are on the left side of your head, which is where the bullet passed through. Seven days prior to that assassination attempt in her life, they had just returned from a conference that they usually went to at the beginning of every year, somewhere in South Carolina. This is a very high-level conference that a lot of people, people like the President Bill and Hillary Clinton, they usually attended this at the beginning of the year. High-level, you met new people, made new connections. You came back supercharged and ready to face the year. And Congresswoman Gabby was someone to always take New Year's seriously. She always had this list of 10 goals that she was going to try to hit during every New Year. And she made sure that her husband also wrote goals. So imagine her coming back from this during the New Year and was supercharged, ready to take on this 2011. And a few days after she's back from this conference, who would have thought or how would she have planned for the change that was coming to meet her? 
which was that gunshot to her head that was going to change everything. She didn't plan for it. The truth is, we could never plan for grief. And no matter how planned we are for adversity, when it hits, it feels like we didn't plan at all. But my goal today is to provide an episode that can serve as a caution for you when you're going through that process. Gabby and Mark tell a story of the time they went to Las Vegas and they invited a friend of theirs from Australia. The wife of the couple lost her first husband, who was a colleague of Mark Kelly in pilot school. And her current husband at the time had his cancer diagnosis that he was fighting through. And the doctors had told him that he had, I think it was six weeks to leave. And the wife, the one who had lost her first husband and was not married to this guy who had cancer, she was also a medical doctor, just went out looking for a solution. She just didn't give up. And she was able to find a trial treatment that she gave to him. And at the time of the writing of the story, which was in 2017, he had gone on for a year and he was doing fine and recovering well. That was a family they picked to go bring the new year with, with their own kids and also Gabby and Mark's kids. And you might wonder why they might go all the way to bring someone who is also going through some kind of trauma to bring in a new year with. There's so many reasons for that, but one of the reasons I want to pick out is how that finding people who can be truly supportive when you're going through grief is not so easy. And Many times it takes someone who's really empathetic, someone who really understands, someone who's feeling enough, someone who's been through something and was able to make meaning of their grief to give support during grief. So if you are grieving and when you're going through your grief, take notes, mental notes of your process. Don't take it lightly because that experience is what will make you a great support for your other friends and families and hopefully also the knowledge that I'm bringing to you through this episode would equip you to support people through grief. Gabby's husband, Debbie Captain Mark Kelly wrote in a story that I would also post in my show notes and I quote, it's coming on seven years now and in that time we've learned a lot. You may find that after times of tragedy and struggle, your cherished traditions change. Some may disappear. Others may just need to wait for now. But if you leave yourself open to them, new ones will appear. And you will find causes for celebrations and types of resolve that you may not have otherwise imagined. I hope that the story of Congresswoman Gabby Giffords will bring you some kind of hope and courage. Here's to the ones that we got. Cheers to the wish you were here, but you're not. Cause the drinks bring back all the memories of everything we've been through. And finally, making meaning of grief. 
you'll be lost on the way Cause the dreams bring back all the memories And the memories bring back memories Bring back your This segment is not about understanding why grief or loss happens. This is not about trying to explain why something has happened to you. We may never be able to understand this. And that is just the honest truth. We may never have answers to our whys during our grieving process. The truth is that loss just happens. And making meaning out of grief is about what we do with the vacuum of the loss after it happens. What do you make out of it? For me, this was the sixth stage that I experienced. And this was a stage beyond the five levels of grief that Elizabeth Kubler-Ross talked about, which I explained earlier. This is about making meaning out of grief or the loss. And no pressure on you to get here or make sure you do this or look for a way to make meaning. This is not about trying to say that your loss was a blessing in disguise. No, a loss is a loss. I'll tell you a story. And this time it's about Ariana Huffington. She's the founder of the Huffington Post, the founder and CEO of Thrive Global, and the author of over 15 books, including her most recent, which is Thrive and The Sleep Revolution. She tells a story about the passing of her mother. I'll preface her story with a quote from Sheryl Sandberg. And I use this quote because Ariana in telling the story of her mom's passing also prefaces that story with this quote and I think it's a very relevant quote for us to take in at this moment. Cheryl said, and I quote, I now know that it is possible to experience post-traumatic growth. In the wake of the most crushing blows, people can find greater strength and deeper meaning. I also believe that it is possible to experience pre-traumatic growth, that you don't have to experience tragedy to build your resilience for whatever lies ahead." Of course. Profound. So, here goes Ariana Huffington's story. The cast of the story are Ariana's mother, whom I would say takes the lead role, and then Ariana herself, who I would say takes the supporting role, and other casts who are featured in the story are Ariana's sister, Agape, her mother's nurse, and Ariana's children. So in telling the story, Ariana describes her mother as someone who always lived in the here and now. She was always present at every moment. She never wanted to miss any moment. She lived with this kind of childlike presence, like time was waiting for her, like there was nothing to ever worry about. She had this zen about her whenever she was living. On the contrary, 
Ariana, for someone who has 15 books and is a CEO of a huge media empire, her life was filled with hustles and bustles. She was always on the move, deadlines here and there, always rushing, and seemingly always running behind time. So once upon a time, Ariana's mother was just discharged from the hospital after having gone through a heart procedure. And she told Ariana and her sister on their way home that she wanted to stop by this grocery market somewhere in Santa Monica where they were living at the time. And she just wanted to, you know, cook for everyone. When they got home, they stopped by the grocery store. Ariana's mother shopped, got the things she wanted. They got home and she made food for everyone herself, her daughters, and her grandchildren. Everyone ate. She was walking upstairs. She looked through the window. She could see her grandchildren playing on the scooter outside. And she took a moment, paused, took in every moment, watched them, and just smiled and went back on her way. And all this time, Ariana and her sister were watching their mom closely. And then they thought to themselves, well, mom must be doing very well. We don't think she's really ill. But just before they finished their thoughts, Ariana's mom fell to the ground. They rushed towards her and wanted to call the medics, but her mother stopped them. She didn't want any medics. She didn't want any attention. She said she was fine. So they called her nurse to come over just to be sure that everything was fine. Her nurse came and instead Ariana's mother requests for everyone to get wine glasses and then she gets a bottle of red wine pours it out for everyone I mean she was on the floor but everyone gets a glass of red wine you know what I mean <laughs> and they all sat on the floor right there with her drinking and telling stories she had a lot of stories to tell all of them and in the story as Ariana tells it after about an hour her mom falls face down to the ground she died and they knew that that is the way she wanted to go very peaceful not missing any single moment later on they realized that their mom had actually told the nurse that she had an inkling that she was going to be going soon and she didn't want the paramedics she didn't want anything to disturb her final moments because she wanted to take in every moment she didn't want to miss a beat that is the life that her mother lived later on ariana and her sister would go on to inscribe these words don't miss the moment on a bench that they put in their garden just to memorialize the kind of life that a mother lived i particularly like the words ariana used to wrap up the story and here goes saying goodbye to my mother wasn't easy and that grief is still something that's with me every day. But her death was her final lesson. She had both mastered death and surrendered to it, which was how she lived her life. Her death taught me that grief isn't about closure, nor is it something to overcome or get past. It is something to lean into, to embrace. Her death taught me the importance of allowing oneself the love and connection with others that the heightened vulnerability of death and grief can bring us. Grief and death are inevitable, but the clarity they bring are available to us right now 
while we're in the land of the living. And if we let the lessons enter our lives, we'll be much more resilient when they do come. Making meaning out of grief is not about forgetting your loved ones who are deceased, but it's about finding meaning from their life. For me, it is a way to actually honor their memory. After my dad passed, it made me really appreciate life all the more. Because one of the things that makes the passing of a loved one so terrible is the thought or the remembrance of all the last times. If only you knew that that was going to be a last conversation. If only you knew that that was going to be the last time that you both would travel together, be in a car together, be in the same store together, whatever your experience would be. If only you knew that that was the last time. But grief doesn't give us warnings. We never know. If only I knew that the last time I saw my dad six years before his passing was going to be the last time or that the last call I had with him was going to be the last one where he could actually hear me and talk back to me. If only I knew. And sometimes, even when we know, it doesn't even help or change anything. (laughs) Because really, nothing prepares us for grief. But not knowing is usually very traumatic for a lot of us. So after my dad passed, I kept asking myself the question, if I knew that that was the last time I was going to speak with him, what would I have said differently? If I knew that the last time I saw him in Nigeria was the last time I was going to see him, what would I have done differently? And when I began to truly ask myself those questions introspectively, I began to say to myself, you know what? I really don't know what this last would be. How about I start living today as if it were my last? Not because I'm anticipating my last, but because I want to live every day as best I can. My counsel to you is to be present every day. Be in the here and now, taking every moment. Be there with your family and your loved ones while you still can. Every day you live, truly live through that day and in that day. Love people deeply. And it doesn't mean that you have to roll with them or hang with them, but just don't spend life and time regretting on them. One of the only things that gives meaning to death and loss is living well. And that is why real fitness was born. That is why I decided to embark on a project that was going to help people live their life 10 over 10. Live your best life now. Rest, exercise, eat authentic, love. My goal here is to help you live your best life possible today, here, and now. Thanks everyone for your time. It's really been a pleasure making today's episode of the podcast. I know it's a very heavy subject and some people might say, you know what? I really don't need this in my life right now. It's too melancholic. I need some positive vibes, but honestly, 
these are life lessons that we all need something to just have somewhere at the back of your mind and very honestly somewhere in the world someone is grieving so if you don't need it now which i know you would need some time share with someone who needs it share with someone who's trying to be there for a friend who's grieving or who's actually grieving themselves and the hope is that they would find enough truth to help them go through the process enough caution and enough support to help them land softly and go through the process and whenever the time is ripe bounce back find resilience and strength and live a better life post grief post trauma not by forgetting the loss or whatever it is accustomed to grieve in the first place but about actually rising with it to new levels of living and new heights of life that they would never have been able to reach without going through this process and i am not saying they had to go through this process to get there but if you're in the process of grieving already they might as well get better through grieving You can also leave me a comment right here on Apple Podcast and rate the show. It goes a long way to help my visibility and help people find it when they search. And you can also shoot me a comment or leave me a feedback or ask me a question on Instagram at Real Fitness Club. I read all the comments and I read all the personal DMs sent to me. I really love it. I love interacting with people. So talk back at me, leave me a comment, leave me a review. I like to know what you think and how you're feeling. It's been fun talking to you all and producing this episode. Like I said, my name is Henry again, your fitness and lifestyle coach. Ciao for now. Mm-hmm.